Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. As awards season continues to pick up through the fall, make sure you're subscribed to the Big Picture Podcast with Sean Fennessy. He and Amanda Dobbins will cover everything you need to know about this fall's Oscar contenders, and Sean will be interviewing the industry's premier directors leading up to the awards. You can tune in and catch up on old episodes of The Big Picture on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from the Ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, aka Kevin O'Palmer, aka Kevin O'Concert, aka Kevin O'Camera, aka Kevin O'Conflict, aka Kevin O'Cancel, Kevin Opinionated, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Croissant, Kevin! <laughs> Verno, how you doing this morning, buddy? I'm doing great, and we are about a week away from all of the NBA teams having their media day. And then the preseason will begin right around the corner after these teams go through a short training camp. And yesterday on the ringer.com, there was a season preview of sorts that was the 29 things that will define the NBA season. You had three Kevin O contributions to this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, Kevin O contributor. Uh, had these three things. Let's start with them one by one. The first of which is interesting because there was news about the subject uh, just yesterday. Chris Paul pretending everything is fine is the headline under one of your contributions. Um, And it talks about Chris Paul and playing with the Thunder and what is going to happen with him this season. Um, Before I get into the trade rumors, which resurfaced yesterday, which could be very interesting. You chronicle that he is, uh, you know, 34, that he's got $124 million owed and his points per possession. And that, you know, showed signs of major decline. Then as the contribution goes on, you share (laughs) his numbers without James Harden on the floor literally the best of his career per 75 possessions um 25.5 points per game 12 assists per game 59.5 true shooting percentage all while taking more shots than he had in his career so how do you square up he showed major signs of decline and this is a bad contract versus when he played without Harden on the court he had the best numbers of his career I wouldn't say it was the sort of the best number of numbers of his career. It's just those numbers that he posted without Harden on the floor were were more closely aligned with his career averages per 75 possessions. For what it's worth, per 75 possessions, I'm gonna try to use more often this year rather than per 100 possessions, which you often hear, or rather than per 36 minutes, because per 75 possessions is typically truest to what is the amount of possessions played in a game. So yeah, that's why I'm using that sort of to regulate the numbers rather than per 100. Anyway, so that as besides that with Chris Paul, 
the numbers are just closer to what he did for the rest of his career. Uh, I think with Chris Paul, there were signs of decline. I don't think his first step is quite the same. His durability is always going to be a concern, especially at his age, 34 years old. However, I do think it's at least interesting that when he had the ball in his hands primarily, he still produced. He well, had that game, now. I believe it was January. But in January, the game against the Golden State Warriors in which James Harden missed, Chris Paul was unbelievable in that game. He had great moments during the season. So I think with Oklahoma City now, with a strong supporting cast right now, with Steven Adams, Gallinari, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Robertson, and so on and so forth on that team, Paul's at least, at least going to have the opportunity to show that there's still something left in the tank for him, which would make a team like the Miami Heat maybe a bit more interested in making a move for him. Okay, hold on now. It's not closer to his career averages. It's significantly better. It's five points per game per 75 possessions. It's 12 assists to 10 assists. I mean, the the point in me putting those numbers in there was really just to show the difference between with Harden and without Harden. And just to state that uh, these past two seasons, Chris Paul averaged 25 points per 75 without Harden to 16 with Harden. 12 assists per 75 without Harden to 7 with with Harden. 19 shots per game without Harden to 12 with Harden. And his true shooting percentage was 4 percentage points higher without Harden than it was with Harden. I would say really the main point there is that Paul's numbers were significantly better without without Harden than they were with him, which happened to be closer to what he did for the rest of his career. There's still concerns about his durability, the first step, the fact that his numbers still weren't great even with Harden is a concern when he's facing more starter-level players rather than bench players like he was for a lot of those minutes without Harden. But it's that's interesting. Fair. It's just interesting. No, that is that's a fair... I think, that is a, I, I think that's a fair point of view to say, hey... He the the minutes he played without Harden are not always against the most elite competition. Yes. That being said, yes, I think I think what this shows is you have to take that into consideration that the competition might have been a little worse. You what? But to me, this says what we have always known: Chris Paul is a guy who will be most successful with the ball in his hands. And so, what it shows me is when the ball is still in and and Harden's the same way, right? His his success is dependent upon a very high usage rate and for the first time in his career Chris Paul wasn't leading his team in usage and Chris Paul was playing more without the ball in his hands, but to get the most out of Chris Paul, the ball's in his hands. And I hearken back to the interview I talked to you about after the trade was done that Mike D'Antoni did with uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, where I came away from listening to it thinking, oh, he did not want this. And he was effusive in his praise (laughs) in Chris Paul and still believes that Chris can be that has three or four more years of being one of the great players in the league. And he really loves Paul. You could tell. And I don't think that he was necessarily... I think I think you would have rather run it back with what they had, or at least with Paul and Harden, and then maybe tinker around that. That being said, he's still really good. You know who did want it? the person who did want it is James Harden. I mean, that's why right. it happened. James Harden wanted it, but Chris is still really he is a really really yep. good player. And we were at the live podcast that Daryl Morey did 
with the guys, uh, with Ryan Rosillo and House and More. And, and yeah, you love I it. I love your pronunciation. It's so I'm good. never changing. I'm never changing. <laughs> Just call him Daryl. Just call him Daryl to avoid people saying, you know how you, you mispronounce his name. I Chris? don't care. You idiot. Daryl. <laughs> well, yeah. Daryl let the following be known. And this was before the trade had happened. In fact, the, the trade happened like a week later. Um, he was very dogmatic about, I have no idea why you guys talk about the great players in the league and what they get paid and what they, how much their contracts are and how much they get overpaid. This guy is a great player and he's one of the best players in the entire NBA. And it obviously irritated him a great bit. Um, and that was regarding Chris Paul much less Russell Westbrook or anybody else that might come into play. And, and you know, this is a standpoint. This is one thing that Daryl and I agree wholeheartedly on, right? Bitch about the bums that get paid a lot of money or the guys <laughs> that don't contribute all that much. But great players getting overpaid is not an issue. And the idea is that Chris is still a great player. Even if you want to pick apart some things, he is still a great player. And there will be interest for him. And so now we kind of move on to the Heat and that story yesterday about the Heat uh, possibly being interested in acquiring Chris Paul. And my initial reaction was, uh, I don't know what they have to give up, but if they can get Chris Paul, get Chris Paul. Because if I can, you know, assuming they don't have to give up, say like Justice Winslow, if I take a team with, Chris Paul, Jimmy Butler, Justice Winslow, you know, I don't know if Dragic is there still or not. I mean, I don't know who they have to give up, but uh, Myers Leonard, Adebayo, whatever. I mean, you're certainly, you know, a team that outside of a few of, I, I don't think we have a severe favorite in the Eastern Conference. And so if if I walk to the into a game, with Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler as my two best guys, I feel pretty good about that in the Eastern Conference. So I guess that's all to say. If I'm, I'm Miami, I'm hell yeah, I'd go for him. I'm with you. I think today, uh, I'm not sure. I haven't done rankings for Eastern and Western Conference yet. I'm waiting till a little bit closer to the season. But Miami right now, they've got to be on paper the third or fourth best team in the East, fifth at worst with this roster. They, they have a really good team, man. Like They have a lot of top-end talent on their roster, as you said. They also have some up, younger upside guys like a Bam Adebayo at center who was really, really good last season, just was playing alongside or behind Hassan Whiteside a lot. This is a good team. And if you're Miami and if midseason Chris Paul is playing in Oklahoma City and he's looking really, really good, if he's in the best shape that he's been in, in years, if he's producing... And if Oklahoma City is willing to possibly give up one first round pick or something like that in order to get off that salary, if you can upgrade from Drogic to Chris Paul and maybe packaging that Myers Leonard salary to make it work, man, like suddenly you're looking at a Heat team that could have Butler, Winslow, Adebayo, Chris Paul. That's a finals contender in the East. That's a real finals contender in the East. So this team... Chris Paul might be old. Chris Paul might be, you know, an overpay in the final year of that salary. He may be an overpay already, but I don't think he is. 
I think what we're going to see from Chris Paul with Oklahoma City this year is pretty much the same old Chris Paul that we saw before. A guy who racks up assists, creates easy buckets for his teammates, and scores efficiently. And I think that's going to be appealing to at least some team out there that looks at their team, looks in the mirror at their own roster, and is like, "We're one guy away." And Miami is one of those teams where yeah. well, I think it could really work for them in Miami. And and Paul and Butler are absolute bulldogs. These are the kind of guys you don't want to see on the other side of you, you know, in close games and playoff games. Um, Dragic is. By the way, um, like, one thing I noticed though is why why do Heat fans not want Chris Paul? I, I, I see a lot of Heat fans on on social that are like so anti Chris Paul here. Oh, that's insane! Um, that um, is insane! That's insane! That like what? I understand like you'd rather have a Bradley Beal who we'll talk talk about in a little bit, but. Chris Paul is is the more acquirable player. You're probably not getting Bradley Beal. There's teams with more assets than you have. But Chris Paul is a guy who could really put you in the championship conversation if he's producing at a high level. um, That's crazy. I mean, yeah, well, two things crazy about that. Number one, that they wouldn't want Chris Paul. Number two, I didn't know there were Heat fans. Um, (laughs) What? What? What an unnecessary shot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It came out of nowhere. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I just, do you ever see, I guess, I don't know, I guess you seek out where Heat fans are talking amongst themselves, but I certainly don't see a lot I of mean, Heat talk. I mean, look, if I lived in Miami, I probably wouldn't care about basketball either. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. When it's I was growing fairness. up a Celtics fan, I used to always think it was hilarious how Heat fans would show up late in those Boston Miami <laughs> series or right. Miami, when whoever would Miami was facing when I was watching the postseason, I was like, geez, they don't have real fans. And then, okay. Know, I don't know. So here, yeah. let's just, talk, <laughs> anyway. let's just, let's just talk this through real quick. I kid, I kid. Uh, he'd have a million fans. Yeah, yeah, um, of course. Dragic's yeah. his salary. This has to be included because it's going to come off the books. Okay. It's an expiring contract and he's still a good player. Um, who else? If you're Oklahoma city, who else do you have to get back in a Paul deal? What asset do you want? I mean, I, I think if I'm Oklahoma City, my chief concern here is getting off the, the salary. I mean, even if Paul is producing, that's still, I mean, look, Daryl, you mentioned Daryl during that live Bill Simmons podcast earlier about the way we talk about big contracts, and I tend to agree with him. I think there's so much conversation about when a guy is making 28 to $35 million, but not about the guys that are making 15 that should be making two. Um, so I agree in that sense. However, having a big sailor salary still makes you really, really difficult to trade, especially when you're 34 years old, especially when there's durability concerns, even if you are producing. So I think for Oklahoma city, the, the key here should be getting ex- near expiring contracts and giving up minimal in order to get off that Paul salary. And if anything, maybe getting at least one thing back. So, oh, I don't I think, look at it like this at all. You can get something back. Yeah, how for many him. teams would really want Chris Paul though? How many teams A need a point guard? How many teams B need a point guard that's thirty four years old and has one hundred twenty four million dollars left on his deal? It's a really, really short list, Chris. It's a short list. I mean, I would have to go through all of the teams, but I certainly think that you could get value back for Chris Paul. Um, maybe you could. Well, he but could change. His, I promise you this. They acquire Chris Paul. Watch what those odds for the Miami Heat do. That's all you need to know, Kev. Watch what they do. If they acquire him, you watch what their odds move up to 
in the Eastern Conference and where they are slated and how their win total changes in Las Vegas. It would be significant. And that's all you need to know. We could talk about how much he's got left on his contract and what he is now. If he moves to Miami, they move into a much different range than they are in right now. We know that. You accept that. Like, if they have Chris Paul on that team, we look at them much differently. That becomes, we don't look at that team and go, that team could make an East Finals. The second they acquired Chris Paul, we would look at that team and say they could make an East Finals. 100%. You know which team I would love to see enter the Chris Paul, you know, sweepstakes, (laughs) for lack of a better word here? The Milwaukee Bucks. They would be interesting to me if they were to get into the conversation for Chris Paul. Um, They have the salaries to get it pretty close to done with Eric Bledsoe being in there who stinks anyway. Milwaukee would be interesting. A Chris Paul, Giannis Antetokounmpo pick and roll in the postseason would be really, really tough to handle for opposing defenses. They're one team that makes sense to me. Other than that, though, in the East, I mean, Orlando, Detroit. I don't think Orlando would because of their younger roster. Detroit maybe is a team that makes some sense. Well, well, the team that we thought would give stuff up, it's the Lakers, but they don't have anything. Yeah, the Lakers can't. That's what I mean. Right. Like, there's not many teams that can or would. I, I mean, I think other than Detroit, Milwaukee, Miami, is there anybody else, really? How about Dallas? That would make any sense? Yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. I think no. with their youth movement, it would be, I think Bradley Beal's the guy that I'd be going How for. How about Denver? I'm, I don't think so. You know what I mean? You move some of the younger asset. You move Will Barton. You move Malik Bees. Whatever. I'm just saying, like they've obviously got enough good players that they could pull. I, I don't love. The, I don't love the Denver fit with Jokic, but it's intriguing. It's intriguing. Minnesota. I, I just don't love the fit. Minnesota is going to build young. Everything I've heard about their intentions yep. this season, it was it's reflective of their interest in D'Angelo Russell, but their lack of interest in Russell Westbrook. Yeah, that might be so. Um, it's way more fun. If Chris Paul gets traded to the Heat, we agree on that, right? Like we or Milwaukee. want that to happen. Milwaukee would be fun. Oh, Milwaukee or well, Miami would be fun. I'd love either of those. I think Milwaukee, boy, that would be. I mean, depending and on what they the way, have to give up. We haven't even touched on the possibility that he like continues to get hurt and he ends up being an albatross contract that Oklahoma City is stuck with for the next two years, next three years rather. That's always a possibility too. This season, we're entering a crossroads in his career, and we're about to find out. I still think he has plenty of juice left. D'Antoni still does. A um, handful of executives I've chatted with this summer do. Uh, so moving forward, I, I do think Chris Paul is at least going to be a bit more appealing when we actually see the real thing during the season. Um, maybe it's what puts Miami over the top. I think it could. I do. I, I think that if I walk into a series with Paul and Butler, I feel really good about that. Um, all right, your next one. Another guy that could get moved, or we certainly suspect could be moved, is Bradley Beal. The title of it was Wheel and Beal. And one of the arguments you made, or one of the points you made in the context of this, which I thought was super fascinating and I agree with completely, he is an interesting player in the sense that there's really no place he wouldn't fit. I think with a lot of players, we go, eh, how would it fit if they you know, were on the same team with blank? Whereas he is one of those rare guys in the league that not only is he totally awesome, it's like, where would he not be a good fit? <laughs> like, I mean, Brad Beal could play for any team in the league. So that 
clearly opens up a lot more possibilities than with some other great players where maybe you have a, a young, great power forward. And so it may not make as much sense to go acquire one. Or maybe you have a young, great shooting guard. And so you don't want to go acquire one. Uh, Beal, on the other hand, I agree, could fit anywhere. And that team is going to be going absolutely nowhere. I think this one, I think that we have seen great return for the Stars recently. Um, I think that Washington could get mega return for him because I think that if you're out there, you go, this could really flip our entire season and possibly franchise for the next three or four years if we can acquire Beal. So I think the price is going to get really high and the offers are going to be spectacular. That would be my prediction. The question really will ultimately be, does new Wizards general manager Tommy Shepard decide he wants to trade Beal or not? I, I, I think it, there will come a point where this team stinks so much, Beal will indicate my future here is not long. And at that point, the Wizards will probably have to make a move. But you can also see the perspective of them wanting to do everything they can to keep him. He is only 26 years old. He is constantly getting better each season. He may be a player that they view as a keeper long term, and they'll probably try to do everything they can to keep him as they should. But I do think there will come a point, as you just said, Chris, where offers for him are so significant that taking one of those deals outweighs the risk of potentially losing Bradley Beal for nothing in the 2021 summer when he hits free agency or for losing more leverage entering the 2020 summer because of the fact that he'd be one year away from free agency. So with Beal, to me, he's one of the real swing players in the NBA this season because wherever he goes, that team could actually end up being the clear finals favorite. Do you have one that you look at and you say, that's the team that should throw in all their chips to be able to get Beal? Um, I mean, you mentioned Denver for Paul. I think, I mean, look, Denver's got so many guards already. It may not make the most sense in the world, but I, I think a Denver type of team, Brooklyn, if they feel like KD has a chance to return, or even if they don't for that matter, you, you can make it work with for the following season. But Brooklyn makes a lot of sense. Denver, those teams that are right now a notch below those top teams. Would you throw in Jamal Murray and other significant assets? I'd I'd try to get it done without Jamal Murray. I'd try to get it done with Gary Harris. Well, what if I say that I can't get it done? I need Murray to make that deal. Maybe I just won't make a move there. Okay. I guess it just <laughs> depends. Yeah, I guess it just depends on what you think the ceiling for Murray is. Do you think Murray can be as good as Beal? Sure. I do not. Sure. Okay. All right. So you would not want to do that. You would not he's, want he's to already, do that. He's already really good. I, I mean, 18 points per game last year. Efficient. Dynamic shooter improving ball handler and passer. Sure. Yeah, he could. How about the how about the magic? They got a bunch of young stuff that doesn't really make a lot of sense <laughs> together. That might be pretty good. We, we we listed a bunch of guys that like we thought could maybe take a step for them, but it is still kind of odd fits. You'd be able to get some assets on that one and maybe that team turned pretty good pretty quick if you're them. Oh, there's a bunch of teams. There's a bunch of teams that could use Brad Beal, as you said. Yeah. Look, any team could use Bradley Beal. For sure. Yeah, I agree. With every you. team. Um, let's move to your last one, which is Steph Curry taking every shot. You chronicled his numbers without Durant and Thompson on the floor, which were just absurd. I think it was 38 points. <laughs> 38 Dude, points. To me, like the numbers with Steph, if you're looking at the past three seasons, 
in 1,214 minutes, which is a small sample um, over the last three seasons without Clay Thompson on the floor and without Kevin Durant on the floor, Curry averaged 38.4 points on 27 shots per 75 possessions, which is pretty much the equivalent of what Harden did this past season, the past two seasons for that matter. So I think with Steph, there's there's a real chance here with, with just now D'Angelo Russell for the f- most of the season without KD, with Klay Thompson out, there's a real chance here Steph has another year where he puts up 15-16 style numbers. I, I, I think he should be the MVP favorite. Those were freaky, um, and we soon forget. Yeah. I mean, he shot 50, 50% from the field. 45% from three while shooting 11 a game and 91% from the line. He averaged 30 points a game that season. And I'm sure you have thought a, about that this. That's so nuts. You've thought about this before, as have I. You know, if the KD thing never happens, are we on like a three out of four, maybe four in a row MVP streak? Because that KD thing really hurt the individual achievements we we talked in the past that like Kevin Durant wasn't even in people's like top five in MVP voting for these past couple of years neither was Steph in most of the cases and it was resent um because it was like they're now they're playing together and they were he was still putting up if you just stood alone and you showed somebody those numbers and said he's not playing with Kevin Durant I mean even these last three years he averaged 25 26 and 27 a game while shooting over 40% from three and shooting 47 to 50% from the field in all those years. Like if you, you know, it stands to reason they might've had the best team in the Western conference or certainly they're at the top of the Western conference and he would have been the best player, but because it, I mean, it hurt Durant and it hurt him um, these last couple of years when it came to voting uh, for an MVP, nobody would consider you the most valuable player because you're playing alongside a top three to five player in the league. Um, but now take that three to five player away, and now you're taking Clay away too. I I agree with you. These numbers could be absolutely freakish, and he might have won two more, three more MVPs over the last three years. You know, it's possible. Yeah, definitely. It's possible. It's it's funny. When I tweeted those stats yesterday afternoon, there was a bunch of <laughs> James Harden fans and Rockets fans on my mentions like, well, why'd you vote for Giannis over James Harden this past season? Well, I did vote for Harden the two seasons prior in a row before voting for Giannis this past season. And I still think like Giannis is right there, as is James Harden. I, I think with this coming season, if you're talking about MVP, Regardless of who wins it, this is going to be another tight race with those guys in it. The bigger picture, you know, conversation here with Steph is the fact that he's already a top 25, top 30 guy all time. And now in a season without Clay, with Katie, who's left, and with just D'Angelo Russell and Draymond Green as his proven partners, there's a real chance here. If Steph is able to carry the Warriors and have an MVP-esque season, whether he wins it or not, an MVP-esque season, and then Clay comes back in March or April, and suddenly the Warriors become a finals contender again with this new core, Steph is just going to move on up that all-time rankings list. This is a year where Steph could potentially be doing that. 
Those were three of the Kevin contributions to the 29 things that will define the NBA season. We have come up with three more each that we will add to said list. We'll do that on the other side. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Floor and Decor. Don't miss out. Floor and Decor is the only one-stop flooring shop that keeps general contractors, flooring specialists, and renovation experts ahead of the game. Thanks to their fully stocked warehouse of hard surface flooring, no job is too big. Job lot quantities of tile wood and stone are in stock and available for convenient worksite delivery. And their dedicated pro services team is here to help make it easy for you to run your business, offering everything from 14-day product storage to financing solutions to express pickup. Sign up for Pro Premier Rewards and you'll automatically rack up points that you can exchange for prizes. Plus, you'll have access to over 15 discounted services to help you grow your business. Explore your local floor and decor and discover how quality flooring products at everyday low prices can completely change your game. Visit floorandecor.com today to locate the floor and decor nearest you to score savings and service you won't find anywhere else. That's flooranddecor.com. Today's show is also brought to you by Roman. With two-thirds of guys experiencing noticeable hair loss by age 35, most guys assume losing their hair is inevitable as they age. Some don't care, some shave their heads, some embrace hats, but what they don't know is there is an FDA-approved medication designed to stop hair loss and even regrow hair. That's why we're excited to partner with our sponsor, Roman. Roman makes it easy to get safe, FDA-approved hair loss treatment all from your phone or computer. And when you go to GetRoman.com slash RingerNBA, your online visit is free. Consult with a U.S. licensed physician through their secure online platform. No awkward conversations with receptionists or reading bad magazines in the waiting rooms. Once your doctor ensures that treatment will be safe and effective for you, Roman's dedicated pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping in discreet packaging. If you're noticing unwanted hair loss, starting treatment early is key and Roman can help. And today, Roman is giving the Ringer NBA show listeners a free online visit at GetRoman.com slash RingerNBA. That's GetRoman.com slash RingerNBA for a free visit to get started. Go to GetRoman.com slash RingerNBA. All right, Kevin. So we each came up with three more that we would add to the list of things that can define the upcoming NBA season. You want me to go first? You always like when I go first. Sure thing, Chris. Do it. (laughs) Okay. uh, I put one, the rookies cut short because last year was a tremendous year for rookies. And we saw this great second half by Trey Young after a paltry first half of the season. And then Luka Doncic clearly won the rookie of the year and he was great. And we looked around and, and, and Bagley and Aiton. I mean, there were just so many, that rookie class was so good, but I think what got forgotten is there was a ton of those guys that got hurt and didn't play. And so you have Jaron Jackson played 58 games. Wendell Carter played 44 games. Mo Bamba played 47 games. Dante DiVincenzo, 27 games. Lonnie Walker, 17 games. Zaire Smith, six games. Michael Porter Jr., no games. Anthony Simons didn't really play. And I know that most of that was because he was in the G League. But I mean, beyond the fact that last year's rookie class was extremely good as it was 
suspected to be? Look at all those names that I just mentioned. And year two, in many cases, can be a separator and the time that we realize, oh, God, this guy is on his way to big stardom, possible superstardom, or this guy isn't what he appeared to be in what was a really good rookie year. But that is one of the ones that I jotted down because it just seemed like, and I just named at least what, I guess I named eight guys there that we didn't even see for two thirds of the season. They didn't play last year. And I know some of these guys were guys that we were both very high on, like Jackson, like Carter, Michael Porter's obviously out there. You love Mobamba. I liked DiVincenzo a lot. Lonnie Walker has looked, I mean, he looked like the best player on the floor in Utah for the summer league. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Lonnie Walker. He, I feel like he's the one name that's sort of been forgotten about. Yeah, those rookies cut short. And we looked and we saw last year, like, hey, man, some of these guys, and maybe more than a few, are going to be big-time players and, and, and possible all-stars. I think there's a list of at least eight where you could get a couple more of those guys that become great NBA players. And so I thought that was kind of forgotten, right? How many guys last year's rookie seasons were cut short due to injury, but that we're going to get to see them this year, a year older. And, you know, I don't think anybody would be surprised if Wendell Carter or Michael Porter Jr. or Lonnie Walker, or any of those guys become outstanding, but we didn't, we didn't get to see it as much last year. So that was my first one that I wanted to add to the list. That's a good one. And that's sort of, that leads right into the one that I have in mind, Chris. And surprisingly, we didn't have a, a actual paragraph on this team in the 29 potential storylines to watch out for. And that's the Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Raptors, the defending champions of the NBA, they're one of the more interesting teams for me this season because of the fact that a guy like Pascal Siakam, the leap that he made this past season, what happens now? Without Kawhi Leonard, who took so much pressure off of him, Siakam now is going to be the guy that's going to end up having the best opposing player on him. Does he become a player who immediately keeps the Raptors in the playoff conversation, or does he just kind of stay the same? And maybe general manager, or rather team president, Masai Ujiri, looks at the roster, and he might want to pull the plug, which he's been wanting to do ever since he got hired as an executive of the Toronto Raptors. He wanted to trade Kyle Lowry, but was unable to. He wanted to blow it up, but was unable to. They ended up winning a championship, but maybe now is a time where Toronto, depending on how Siakam develops, they may want to try to trade Kyle Lowry. They may want to try to trade Marcus Soul to another contender. But right now, I think a lot of that comes down to how Siakam develops and what this team actually looks like, whether they're, they're going to be a buyer or a seller come February trade deadline. Oh, I think this is a great one because they are, while it was mentioned in there about Utah, Denver, some of these teams, like the nobody believes in us possible title run. What about Toronto? I mean, they won the damn title and they didn't even, like you said, they didn't even make the list of teams that are interesting or could define the season. <laughs> or I mean, you want to talk about nobody believes in us. Jesus. I mean, like, and, and, and look, Siakam last year. Maybe Raptors fans have a point for years. They man, say they're overlooked. Of maybe course they, they do. Point. But look, yeah. at 17 points, hey, Siakam went 17 points a game, seven rebounds a game, three assists a game. I could absolutely see him taking a leap from that. He had a really outstanding season. But if you told me that year three, he ends up 
becoming, you know, I don't know what the ceiling is. I don't. But he's an outstanding player, and he's still young in his career, though he is older than many of his peers draft class-wise. We're still just talking what's going to be his fourth year in the league, and the first two years he didn't play over 20 minutes a game. You know, and then he got his chance last year, and I mean, he won most improved, and he was great. But I don't, what number is he on, you know, the best players on a team list? Is he a second best guy on a team? Is he a third best guy on a team? They clearly had a collection of outstanding talent last year. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But I like that one a lot because that is a great unknown. Does he average over 20 something a game? I could see it. We're about to find out, man. I, I'm We're excited. About to find out. Siakam, like, there's, there's no question about his work. His work ethic is elite. And it's just a matter of, he's going to maximize the ceiling, whatever it is. It's just a matter of how high that ceiling actually is. All right. Next one for me. And I was surprised that this wasn't on the list because this guy's a massive star in the league. He's had a movie. He's got a very popular shoe, the whole thing. And I know maybe he's gotten talked about so much that people get tired of it. But to me, one of the massive things that is going to define this season is does Kyrie Irving screw up another team? Um, <laughs> I know they only won 42 games last year, but anybody that is a big NBA fan that was like flipping around on league pass and was paying attention to that team that Kenny Atkinson had in Brooklyn, that was one of the most fun teams in the league last year. And it was this collection of... Um, it was this, you know, everybody pulling the same rope and they had these outstanding veterans with these young guys and not necessarily outstanding players, but like guys that you want in a locker room, guys that you want on a bench, guys that are up waving a towel and cheering on their younger teammates. And I'm talking about Jared Dudley and I'm talking about Ed Davis and I'm talking about Damari Carroll and all these kind of guys that I think are so good and so beneficial for a young team. And you saw breakouts from D'Angelo Russell, a good year from uh, Joe Harris injury, but then was able to come back for Karis LeVert. And now I'm taking that and those young guys and that they're just kind of coming into their own. And I'm putting a, Ball dominant player who can be very surly. And then uh, uh, DeAndre uh, Jordan, right? Who is not like, I mean, he doesn't uh, remind everybody of, uh, while while all of his teammates seem to really like him, I don't know that he would be confused as some kind of great leader. Um, I'm very fascinated by this, especially because this is the year that they will not have Durant. And so, what does it look like now? that Kyrie's there, he is clearly the best player on the team and signed there, and you have a bunch of young guys who are just kind of coming into their own, Dinwiddie and Halliburth and Joe Harris and on and on, a Jared Allen. And so how does it affect them? And I just watched him stymie slash infuriate young guys that felt like they were coming into their own. In Boston, right? We just saw that. We just saw it. And so that team was, I don't know. I, I really like that team and they're on the ascent. And so that whole Kyrie subplot and what's going to happen in Brooklyn to me is it's up there high in terms of things that I'm interested in. That's a good one. That's a really good one. I, I think with Brooklyn, 
even just their media day on Friday is going to be interesting <laughs> to see what Kyrie is saying, to see what type of, if he's asked about lessons learned in Boston, even that's going to be interesting to see if his perspective has changed at all. Never mind when the games actually get rolling and we hear stories about Kyrie Irving walking into Kenny Atkinson's office and asking if he what government means to him. I'm looking forward to those stories. It's going to be well, weird. Well, how about this? Either Here's way. the problem, Kev. <laughs> what happens when they get their ass kicked and he walks into the locker room and he pulls the whole, you don't know what it takes to win stuff. You know? <laughs> like everything, uh, it, it feels, it, it, to me, it, it mirrors so much, though Brooklyn did not have the success that that Boston team did, okay, at all. But there was nobody to really like stand up in the Boston thing because it was the young guys and Al Horford, that's not really his personality. Like, who stands up to him? Like, who's who's the guy? In that locker room, it's his team. And I think there needs to be somebody else that it's their team. Somebody that will stand up and say, hey, you know, like maybe keep the young guys up. Maybe be positive about things. Maybe whatever it takes. And and you're taking a bunch of young guys on that team that are going from what I thought is great veteran leadership to Kyrie. And maybe Kyrie can change. And maybe it will be <laughs> lessons learned. But those lessons certainly were not learned in Boston, even by the end of the season. You know, the flip side of the Kyrie Irving conversation is the guy they ended up losing. And that was D'Angelo Russell, who they signed and traded in the Kevin Durant trade that brought Durant to Brooklyn. Um, I'm intrigued by D'Angelo Russell in Golden State because <laughs> Steve Kerr. This is my number three. Oh, this is your third. So, wow. here, so hey, okay. so we'll just give a hey, we're going to give the people five. I swear to you, my third one All is right. what becomes of D'Angelo Russell. So let's talk about Ooh. this. So this is good because in my article tomorrow, I have like a, a, a section on D'Angelo Russell and the Warriors. And basically it's going to be fascinating because Russell is a guy. He can play off ball. It's what he did at Ohio state. He can run off screens and, and shoot threes at, at a pretty good level. He's not an elite shooter off movement, but he can shoot. He's not much of a cutter, but what he is is a, as a high pick and roll player. And that's something the warriors just don't do. They, they run fewer ball screens during the Steve Kerr era than any team in the entire NBA. So Steve Kerr has new personnel on a team that Joe Lakeup and Bob Myers have, have not hidden the fact that they want to build a sustainable winner like the Spurs, but the hallmark quality of the Spurs over time was changing their system. Greg Popovich constantly tweaked the team. They went from their post era with Duncan to the beautiful ball movement that they had in the late 2000s, early 2010s to a little bit more ISO ball with Kawhi Leonard. They were constantly changing. And my question is, does Steve Kerr take his new personnel and begin to actually integrate more pick and roll? He did hint at it. He said in an interview earlier this month to The Athletic that there will probably be new things, quote, style of play strategy. So is Steve Kerr going to tweak the system to best maximize D'Angelo Russell? Or is D'Angelo Russell going to have to adapt to this new system with off-ball movement and cutting and screening? It, uh, it's two different styles that are probably going to have to meet somewhere in the middle for it to work as well as it can. Uh, so I'm going to be fascinated to see that Russell Golden State fit and whether Steve Kerr makes some changes to his system that has worked and that he has not had to change, but moving forward may have to change. 
the reason that this is so fascinating to me, in addition to what you just chronicled, is they signed him to a four-year, $117 million deal. And right upon that happening, Mark Stein, the Hall of Famer Mark Stein, said the following on Dan Patrick. D'Angelo Russell doesn't fit there whatsoever, Stein said. They just wanted to make sure they did not see Kevin Durant, arguably the best player in the league when healthy, walk out the door for nothing. They got a 23-year-old all-star, and they will trade him. It's just a matter of when. And so that has always stuck out to me, that upon that happening, because that makes all the sense in the world. It's like, we can sit there and we can talk about how does he fit, and it's like, well, that wasn't the point of this in the first place. They weren't out there seeking out D'Angelo Russell. They just thought, well, geez, what can we get in a, like, I mean, he's leaving. So how can we get something? How can we get like a real asset? And so was that always looked at? I've got to believe that it was just always looked at as an asset. Now, of course, you're going to try to make it work and they sign the guy, but he does not necessarily fit the timeline of what they're doing now. You only have a finite amount of time with these guys, with Clay and and Draymond and Curry to go win this. And you might be better suited with that money being used elsewhere. So I think that it's really, if I believe that, that it wasn't about they really wanted him, but they really wanted the asset. If I view that as the asset that is D'Angelo Russell, what can they get for him? And does it swing everything again for the Warriors Mm -hmm. where we, right? Because they catch three or four, you know what I mean? Say they get two awesome role players even back and maybe a future asset, which they're going to need. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned this because that that's the way the section sort of caps off where it's Russell is not only a swing player for Golden State this season, but he's a swing player for their entire future. Either he becomes a guy that you undeniably want to keep and he's part of the core moving forward, or he becomes a guy that you use to get that player. And that could be, there's been the constant rumors for about a year now that they're going to go after Giannis Antetokounmpo. Well, they can't sign Giannis into cap space. The only way that they would be able to do it is with a sign and trade. And and Russell could become an incentive that makes it worth it for Milwaukee to even want to entertain that at some point. Granted, yeah, I think I would predict at this point Giannis stays when he hits free agency in 2021, but a lot can change in two seasons. And by that point, maybe Russell is a candidate that makes some yeah. sense for them to actually do that sign and trade if they have to, if he doesn't. Yeah, we know he doesn't fit. We know that. Look, you want the ball well, in Curry's hand. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he he doesn't. But that's sort of what I'm so interested in. Does Kerr adapt? He doesn't fit in the old system, but does Kerr make tweaks to the system? I'm saying no matter what system you want to run, you want the damn ball in Curry's hands all the time. You know? Yeah, but Russell, so, can, play, Russell can play off ball, though. Eh. That's sort of been forgot. He can play off ball. He, he's not a dynamic off ball shooter like Clay Thompson, but he can play off ball. That's what people are going to see this season, regardless of how many system changes Kerr makes. I am just going to be curious to see if Kerr ends up running more pick and roll to best maximize D'Angelo Russell's premier skills and steps for that matter. (laughs) I think they look at it and they go, we need, let's go get some wings. Obviously, Iguodala was cast off, but you know, you're, you're looking at having to play against Kawhi and, and Paul George, and you're looking against playing LeBron and Anthony Davis. And so when you look at their team and as it is constructed, D'Angelo Russell doesn't help them in those series to me. 
it would be a much better fit to have wings and maybe even a big guy involved in this deal with Curry and Clay and, and Draymond than it would to have D'Angelo Russell, another shifty guard who is not some kind of lockdown defender himself. You know, I don't think he's miserable, but he's it, nobody's sitting there going, oh, God, how am I going to score on D'Angelo Russell? Um, but that's good. We both had that one as uh, something that super intrigued us. So that's only going to leave us one more because my three are off the table. What was your last one? Well, I would say my last one is basically what I have going up on the ringer tomorrow. And that's who who are the, the swing players in the league this year? Because what we have right now is a wide open championship race. We have a lot of teams that are, there's no golden state. There's no Miami heatles with LeBron, Chris Bosch and Dwayne Wade. There's no team that is explicitly the finals favorite. So that creates an environment where a player's sudden development can swing the odds in their favor. We saw that last year with Siakam emerging for Toronto. We saw it many years ago with Kawhi Leonard emerging into the star that he did for the Spurs. Who is the player this year that actually makes the team go from good to great or great to amazing? Is it somebody like Anthony Simons on the Portland Trailblazers? Can he finally support their units on the court without Damian Lillard? Can he make a leap as he showed he could this summer? Is it somebody like Aaron Gordon? Does Gordon finally become the guy who is not just somebody who fits in to a lot of different types of roles, but somebody who actually shines within a role because he he's been good. He's a great defender already, but offensively he hasn't really popped. Is it somebody like a Jason Tatum who right now people look at Boston as a team that's been a disappointment after high expectations, does Tatum make a leap this season and give Kemba Walker the scoring partner he needs? Does Gordon Hayward get back to being Gordon Hayward? There are a handful of players in the league that can make or break a team's championship hopes or even hopes of just having a real chance at contending in their own conference. Oh, I like this one because there are, there are tons of guys that are out there, right? That if they took so many, if they, if they took another step, to move them into a different class of player that everything changes. Like Malcolm Brogdon in Indiana. What if Malcolm Brogdon all of a sudden, I mean, he just went 50, yeah. 40, 90. What if he takes a big leap, which they're going to need without Oladipo in the mix? Or what if, what if Kyle Kuzma? Miles Turner on Indiana is another one that I have. Or Kyle Kuzma I have as well. Yeah, yep. okay. Uh, one more that would come to my mind just, and I'm just randomly thinking about this, but the first one would be what we, because the World Cup, and I know they were a disappointment, but Mitchell. And now yeah, he's playing yeah, alongside yeah. Mike Conley. He has been carrying the load as the best scorer on that team for the first couple of years, and they've been pretty damn good. And so now you take some pressure off him with a guy that can really shoot the ball on flanking literally. I mean, he is the, I think I saw the other day, I was reading something and I'm like, can that be true? He had the worst three-point percentage of anybody that's going to be in the lineup sometimes. And I was like, what? <laughs> How is that so? I mean, you take away the Gobert because Bogdanovich, Mitchell, uh, Conley, and Ingles. I mean, that is freaky now. If you're talking about he's, yeah. the, he's the one of the four that has the lowest percentage, and of course, he has commanded so much attention because you knew if you kind of slowed him down that that would go a long way towards beating them. But he was pretty damn awesome 
for that World Cup team. And if he took a leap, it wouldn't shock me. He's a great kid, hard work ethic, and he has been outstanding the first couple of years in the league. So he could swing things for sure. For sure. If he was like a 25 point per game guy. That's a good one. There's a lot of those guys. And what's exciting is there will be somebody who does. There will be a player who takes a leap, who who develops beyond our expectations right now. There will be a player who does. It's just a matter of who, matter how many there are, but there will be players who emerge. And that's what's so exciting about this year. Yeah. I can't wait to read that article that you're putting out. I'd, I'd imagine the first one on your list is Nilakina, right? <laughs> Uh, yes, it's frankly, is it? yeah. The section is Frank Nilakina, and it just says "F you, Chris" on it. That's all. <laughs> uh, two things, real quick, before we get out of here. The first of which is, um, we got a lot of feedback on our Island podcast last week, and I don't know if you felt the same way, but for me, the overwhelming amount of responses that I got from people that were on islands, there were two. And I was actually a little surprised by this, but it was, I mean, it wasn't even close. There were these two guys and then a smattering of thousands of different players. Hazonia and Exum. I got those more than any other players by a wide margin, by a wide margin. People that still think, so, uh, so I hate to tell all of you that sent me that, those aren't islands anymore because there's a lot of people <laughs> on both of those. There's a lot of people that still believe uh, in Exum and still believe in Hazonia. What do you make of that? Boy, I, I wish my belief in Hazonia paid off. That's all <laughs> I'll say. I wish it did. I wish it did. Uh, I'm off the island. I'm off Hazonia Island. Very sad. I still believe in Exum. I'm still there. But but Mario Hazonia, boy. I loved him as a prospect. <laughs> I did. <laughs> hey, I so uh, years ago I knew this scout when that draft was coming up, and I didn't know about these guys. It was the same draft as Porzingis, right? And I was like, "So, which one do you like more?" And he's like, "Between Porzingis and Hazonia, oh, I'd take Hazonia." A lot of people would have. Well, he doesn't have a job as a scout anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead. I'm, I'm dead serious. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, it's not like it affected Jeez. anything, but <laughs> oh yeah, those are the kinds that can cost you. You know what I mean? Your opinion on stuff like that. There's a lot of people who still prefer Okafor over towns too. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, last thing that I do want to mention, Jonathan Gavoni, who does a great job covering the draft. Oh, I know what this is going to be. I'm so glad ESPN. you're saying it. Yes. Okay. He put up an article this morning, and I was like, what the hell? NBA mock draft, LaMelo Ball is now a real number one pick contender. And and I was like, what? Um, LaMelo Ball, who is now evidently six foot seven, had 27 NBA scouts checking on his progress at a four-day trip to Tasmania the home of the MBL Blitz, the Australian and New Zealand Basketball League's annual preseason tournament. And in one of the games, he had 19 points, 13 rebounds, seven assists. One scout told uh, Gavoni that he reminds him of Luca in terms of his size, his feel, and his creativity. Um, and I mean, these, these quotes are just effusive with praise. And I did not know that this was in the cards, but here we are with LaMelo Ball. 
possibly being in the conversation as a, I mean, top five, maybe even top draft pick in the NBA draft. Did you know that this is what was going on with LaMelo? Yeah, he's he's a legitimate prospect. He's a legitimate top prospect when you consider his size, as you just said. I wouldn't compare him necessarily to Luca, who I think is a better shooter than LaMelo Ball, but the feel for the game, the passing vision, it's like his brother. I mean, we've seen how Lonzo passes the ball. LaMelo has that, except he's bigger. He's stronger at this stage of his career, and I think he's got a better overall shot off the dribble and off the catch than Lonzo does. He's, he's to me, like a big Lonzo, um, but he's entering a league a league that uh, look with the mellow ball, dude, look at these other guys at the top of that draft. James Wiseman is somebody who there will be questions about his effort on the defensive end of the floor. Anthony Edwards, who is a smaller guard. It is conceivable. LaMelo ball rises up the rankings here and becomes the number one guy. And boy, I wish I was in Tasmania to see the blitz. Watch the highlights after we get off this pod, Chris, watch the highlights of LaMelo. I will. And there, there was another guy that's very impressive. Um, R.J. Hampton, who, you know, yeah. at one point was going to go to Texas Tech or maybe Kansas, maybe Memphis. Like, he was one of the top prospects in the entire country, and he decided to go play uh, for a team in New Zealand, uh, the New Zealand Breakers. And lucky for me, how about this? The Memphis Grizzlies scheduled a preseason game against the New Zealand Breakers. So this kid's going to come play oh, yeah. uh, nice. with the breaker. I was so excited because I want to see this kid in person. Um, many people thought he was the best player in his class. And then he reclassified and he's going to go play overseas. Um, and so, you know, you kind of can lose track of them. But evidently, they're going to be playing against some NBA level competition. And this kid, uh, he was very good and impressed people. Uh, while playing professionally. So we got two of them now. Over This would be crazy if we catch Australian League and New Zealand League teams putting guys in the top 10 in the NBA draft, top five, maybe even top one. I mean, look, there was a case study years ago, and it was kind of Brandon Jennings, you know, and and he didn't go as high as many of his peers. And then we kind of really... Just had here and there's had a guy trying the D League. We had, uh, I guess, Basley, right? Basley, Darius Basley. He didn't really play. Um, yeah, you know, he certainly didn't play in college. So I don't know. I'm excited to see what becomes of these guys. But Lamelo Ball, maybe the number one pick. Watch some La- Lamelo highlights. It's it's fun. He's got this little floater that he probably overuses from mid range, but it's just fun to watch. He's a fun player. It won't be long until you're going to be talking about tanking for LaMelo. <laughs> <laughs> the question will be, does LaVar go on first take or does he just, did he learn his lesson with Lonzo and just, you know, doesn't spout about his son? Well, I don't think he's welcome there Very anymore. I don't think he's welcome on that yeah. show, but they'll uh, probably yeah, still be. Yeah, true. He's it, not welcome he, to first take. Yeah, but he can go on Fox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kevin, it's always a pleasure. I will talk to you next week. Have a good one, Chris. Thanks to everybody for listening to another episode of The Mismatch. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars really helps. And we will talk to you next week.